relatives. To your side means husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, above you, parents, grandparents. Appreciate the messages. Just answer yes or no. I've given this litany a thousand times before. In living rooms and offices and holiday inns and states I can't even locate on a map. But this is different. This is like nothing I've ever done before. It's not something I've ever really aspired to, but here I am. Across the dimly lit set, I see Doug Fogel watching me. He's the stage manager. He's in control of what's happening, unlike the person he's looking at, the person whose name is actually in the title of the show. Doug hears the cue from the control room over his headset and begins counting me down with one hand. Five, four, three, two. He points to the irregularly shaped white screen that plays the opening montage of the show. He looks at the audience, extends his arms, and begins clapping with a purpose, turning himself into a human applause sign. And then he points to me. And it's showtime. Time for me to walk out from side stage, make a quick left as I reach the middle of the screen, and bound onto the illuminated disc that will be my new home. Something tells me we're not in the Holiday Inn anymore, Toto. As I scan the audience, the gallery as it's being called, I try to smile the way I think a TV host is supposed to smile. And I'm not comfortable. Actually, I am extremely uncomfortable. I'm not wearing clothes. I'm wearing wardrobe. I have makeup on. There's all this stuff around me. Up above, there's a constellation of lights. Over here, a contraption that looks vaguely like a camera. And there's, like, an entire industry of people laboring over a cosmic version of something I've been doing for years by myself. Up until now, I've been pretty much okay with just God's help. Now I'm relying on Doug. Everywhere I look, there are people in headsets talking to the producers and the director who's in a room somewhere staring at 52 television screens with my face on more of them than really seems necessary. It's called the control room. And now that makes me nervous. Because I'm a control freak. Just ask anybody. And I don't like surrendering so much control that they might need an entire room to hold it. Will I be able to do what I do under these conditions? Was this really such a good idea? How the hell did I get here? Great Expectations A Psychic in Ladies' Lingerie I was not a happy medium in 1998. An example, Denver in November. I'm near the end of a two-week, city-a-day tour to promote my first nonfiction book, One Last Time. At a book signing, I spoke for about 20 minutes, then asked if anybody had any questions. A woman raised her hand. Can you start over? She asked. You talk way too fast. Well, it's been that kind of tour right from the start. Back in New York, the publicity people booked me at a Bradley's department store in the ladies' underwear section. Attention, shoppers. Come see the psychic in ladies' lingerie on the lower level. I'm standing among the bras and panties talking about dead people. My spirit guides, which I call the boys, must have one fine sense of humor. Yeah, they're just hilarious. No, things are not going well. In a town on Long Island where I live, I went to a bookstore and they tried to sell me James Van Prague's latest book. The sales clerk said it was way better than the one by that John Edwards guy. And this one by Sylvia Brown's good, too. I ask if she's read the one by the Edwards guy. She says no. I introduce myself. It doesn't help. It's still Edwards to her. There have been worse days lately. Last month, Montel Williams and Larry King canceled my appearance on the same day, which actually was my birthday. Definitely a message from the boys. 
But what were they trying to tell me? The Larry King people said that they would reschedule. But the Montel producer said that, well, I've been there and done that. Just yet another psychic guy who talks to the dead. So what else is new? They need a new angle. But I don't think I have one. Somewhere on the road, it hit me like a punch in the face. Things are not turning out as I thought that they would. No, as I knew they would. Go ahead, say it. Some psychic you are. I was about to turn 30, and I could look back across the years and see where I came from and how I got here. And I had thought I could see around the bend because my spirit guides had given me glimpses. They had told me years earlier that I would be a teacher in this field. What they didn't tell me was when or how. I would have to find that out on my own. Not that they didn't shine a light, because they always had. Years ago, the summer I was 14, my Aunt Joan took me on my first real excursion, a cruise to the Caribbean. Docking in St. Thomas, we spent hours shopping, eating, and walking along the shore. Mostly walking, and walking, and walking. After seven or eight hours, we thought it might be a good idea to turn around and head back. About 20 minutes into our return hike, my feet tired and burning, I looked across the horizon and saw our ship in the far distance, about half an inch wide in my perception. Oh my God, I said, look at how far we still have to go. My aunt laughed, reminded me of something her mother, my paternal grandmother Mary, used to always say. Don't look at how far you have to go. Look at how far you've already come. My grandmother's favorite saying was prophetic. She didn't know she was passing down from her daughter to her grandson nothing less than words to live by. Trying to look too far ahead, worrying how and when and even if you're going to get where you're supposed to go, can stop you in your tracks. It's a lesson I would have done well to remember 15 years later. There was irony in this because I had spent a lot of effort recalling my earliest years for the opening chapters of One Last Time. How as a young child I had experiences that only years later would I realize were not part of the average childhood. How I knew things I shouldn't have known, family events that had happened before I was born that no one had told me about. It wasn't until I was a teenager, after an encounter with a psychic named Lydia Clark, that I began to explore what was going on inside my head. And by college, I was spending my free time as a psychic medium. But I never considered psychic medium as a viable career choice. It never even entered my mind. Imagine putting that on your tax return. Well, I got a degree in public administration and went to work at a large hospital, first as a phlebotomist drawing patients' blood, and later in the computer department. I continued doing private and group readings at night and on weekends and developed a small following around Long Island. But I envisioned a fulfilling upward career in healthcare administration and a normal life. I married my dance instructor and we bought a house on a quiet cul-de-sac. By 1995, my spirit guides were pushing me to change course in their direction. They were leading me to the understanding that I was on a path to a life's work connecting the physical world to the spirit world. But I didn't leap into it. I loved my job at the hospital and had serious reservations about building my life around my psychic work. For one thing, I was very insecure about how people would perceive me. Well, what do you do? Oh, I talk to dead people. But the stakes were even higher than that. What my guides were telling me was that I would be more than a practitioner. I would be some sort of noted figure in the field and that I would help a lot of people. Go ahead, roll your eyes. Who is this guy, some possessed cult leader? But as pompous as that might sound, it wasn't anything that I had aspired to. I had no interest in being well-known. In fact, it's still not important to me. Celebrity is fleeting. It's the work that endures, if you're doing it right. 
I had a major life decision to make. Stay with the job and career I loved and the financial security that came with it or cross over into a peculiar blend of spiritualism and entrepreneurship. I had always followed my guides and they had never steered me wrong. That year, I made the biggest leap of faith of my life. I left the hospital and actually did put down psychic medium as my occupation on my tax return. I gave private readings in my home office, group readings in the living room, and started giving lectures to larger groups in hotel meeting rooms. Even those who had heard I was young were taken aback when they saw me. This 20-something guy in jeans and a t-shirt who was now going to unite them with their departed loved ones. He did not need to be psychic to know what they were thinking. He's a kid. Well, not long after I left the hospital, my guides let me know that I needed to begin working on a book. My human reaction was puzzlement. Who wants to read a book by a 26-year-old kid who says he has special access to the other side? Well, this became a persistent refrain, so I took it pretty much as a given. No more complicated than following a bare right road sign without having to slow down, as if just following someone's instructions. I started thinking about it, making notes of the points I wanted to make in the book and the stories I wanted to tell. I started keeping a file of letters that validated past clients' readings. I didn't have an agent, and I wondered if I should get some help writing it. But my boys, the guides, told me specifically, no, that I would do it by myself. I didn't find the surprising or daunting prospect. I felt I was a good writer, and I was encouraged by the confidence boost my guides were giving me. Then one night in February of 1996, something very unusual happened. They slammed on the brakes and did a screeching U-turn. You need help with the book. Well, this confused me. It was very odd for my guys to tell me one thing, stay with that for more than a year, and then suddenly do a 180. I wasn't sure why my guys were suddenly...